Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Thank you, Mr. Kelly, for passing the baton back to me. And as we do this relay around the offices and everything else, the studios, Folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, concerns, or comments, we're going to be talking to Shirley first after we come back after the go, you know, the stroll and all that other stuff. And thanks for having me on your show. And uh, we can talk about your annuals. Speaking of annuals, I was surprised... You know, I parked and then walked, you know, back over here to the KMOX building, and uh, I saw some pansies, and they look actually fairly good. I'm just surprised to see pansies after the heat and everything else we've had. Usually by now, the ones that I had in my window boxes, I get sort of like they were really getting elongated and stretched out and everything else. These are in the ground, but I was just shocked. And uh, all your bulbs, how about your summer bulbs, those caladiums and those elephant ears and those cannas, your edibles, your you know herbs and everything else, your ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but always remember my answers, comments, or opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take or to consider. It is, yes, no, just consider them. Greg is producing still after the you know first hour is over, and uh, during the week I do landscape consulting, and uh, what I do is come to your home and do a walk and talk where I answer questions or concerns that you have, whether it's problem solving or aesthetic. If you'd like for me to do a walk and talk and you're at your home, you can go to my website, mikemillerdesigns.com, in the homepage. There's going to be my email address or f- and phone number. You can contact me. So. I'll come to your home and we'll share 40-plus years of experience. Now, a special recognition for individual group or situation has made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. If you're listening last week, uh, you know, I just had my birthday, 69th birthday. And so on Sunday, Tracy and I, what I decided to do is, you know, we go out and eat and blah, 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 do that. But... What else I wanted to do is I wanted to go to the art museum. Now, the art museum, the sunken cities of Egypt's lost worlds. I thought, you know, I want to see this because it's coming here. It's probably be my only opportunity to see some of these things. And I thought it would be just a bunch of big old stones with, you know, partly broken and this kind of stuff. I was overwhelmed by how much different things there were were in this sunken city thing at the art museum. These amulets, these kind of little like charms, they had coins from way, way, way back when. So in other words, money, money the size of like a button. How in those days? And I mean, there was some of these small things. It was just amazing. I don't know how they had the skill 
to do all this work that they did. Of course, they did have some big, you know, let's say stone sculptures and things like that. But the smaller stuff was, you know, very, very, very impressive. You know, incense burners and all these different things. And, you know, there were some videos of showing where they discovered this and how they pulled it up and then, you know, got all the stuff off of it. What these were were two cities that actually got, because of the rising tides and things along the Mediterranean, you know, got more or less, I guess they're, what would that be, west of Alexandria. And one was kind of like a resort you know, a lake resort with all kinds of harbors and things like that. And it's just, you know, and then a bunch of the stuff just got thrown in. And then they, when they found that, they cleaned it up. And it's in the museum, you know, basically all year round, you know, most of its life, unless it's part of it's on tour like here in the museum in Alexandria. But that gets the tip of the trowel for this week. The art museum, Sunken Cities, Egypt's Lost Worlds. I mean, <laughs> I was overwhelmed. It was very, very nice, very unique. So I was very happy to have done that. Let's see. Can we get to Shirley, Greg? Okay, Shirley, are you still there? I'm still here, yes. Oh, Greg, go ahead. Uh, I'm looking for a holly that's not over, uh, say, three, three and a half inches tall. Not three, three and a half inches? Oh, I'm sorry, feet. Okay. There's not going to be any of them that are going to stay that low, to be honest with you? You okay. can prune them to keep them that low, but for the most part, even like there's a variety of holly, which is not the classic looking holly, called an inkberry holly, and the Nordic variety stays relatively small. It has a dark green leaf, but the leaf is oval. It doesn't have the classic holly look. That's probably going to be the smallest one that you're going to be able to find. But there are some shrub type holly, blueprints, blueprints, you know, China boy, China girl. They're shrub type hollies that you can prune and keep them, you know, relatively small. But the let's say the foster holly or the American holly, that's the big tall types. Okay. Um, even eight feet? Do you have something like eight feet? Uh, probably, you know, you know the, any of the shrub type could get to eight feet. Okay. All right. My, my next question is, uh, I was given a Japanese maple. It's only about, oh, 36 inches tall. Um but the leaves just keep curling and, and getting crispy, turning brown. And I've checked for mites. I don't know what to do. Any suggestions? Uh, is this one that has a very fine leaf look to it? No. no. So it, it's it, just a regular holly, I mean, a regular maple-like leaf? Yes. Okay, so my guess is just the root system is not adequate enough to take up enough moisture to keep these, you know, the leaves, let's say, looking nice. Okay, it's still in the pot. I'm waiting for oh. the ground um, to be uh, done so I can plant in it. Right. So you think that's the problem? Absolutely. So it's okay. just not, it doesn't have enough moisture. Well, I'm trying to keep it completely moist. But, you know, it, you know, it doesn't have an adequate root system to, even if you're putting moisture into the pot, it doesn't have it. And if the pot's definitely sitting above the ground and not sitting in a hole you know, kind of buried, that's going to help them, you know, dehydrate it too. So it's just a dehydration factor. Okay. I just check it every morning to make sure that the, the soil is moist. Right. But evidently, I need fertilizer. Would that work? No, don't do any fertilizing until you get into the ground. It just doesn't have adequate root system. 
So in the pot, it's been bonsai, and it's not, it doesn't have enough roots to uptake enough moisture regardless of how much water you put on it. The plant can only take up so much of the moisture that you're putting down into the pot. Okay, I'll just try to have to fix that and get it in the ground. Right. Okay, thank you so much. Certainly. And now let's go to where we headed. Ken in Kansas City. Whoa. Hi, Ken. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Very good. Great. Uh, putting in a drain pipe, 100 feet uh, long, three of them, actually, three, six inch. And my question is, they're going to obviously dig this out, and then they're going to leave the dirt there rather than remove the excess dirt uh, with the hopes, obviously, due to the fact it's going to settle. My question is, what's the best way to get it to, to help it to get settled, and when can I put grass seed on all of this? I wouldn't bother putting any grass seed down in the heat of the summertime, to be honest. No, I'm at, okay. Right, so right. it's just, yeah. and I'd mix some compost in with the soil to make sure that you get a good, rich soil. So when you do put the seed down, you're going to have an opportunity. But what I would do now is once they've, you know, backfill and everything else, stay on top of the weed control because you're okay. it's going to explode with weeds of all kinds. And that's why you got to watch out for, you just don't want this to happen. Now, realize, too, that you can't put a pre-emergent down you know, in mid to late August because that's the time you're going to put your grass seed down, and the pre-emergent could you know, kill the grass seed sure. as well. Yeah. Now, is there any trouble with weeds growing up and just killing with Roundup? I mean, they're, they hold the soil. I mean, they, I, mean it's, I know you don't want weeds, but since you can kill them, are weeds a big deal? No, they aren't a big deal other than the fact that you know, some people are weed nuts. And so— okay. Like I, you know, the story I always say, my father said, if it's green, it's fine with me. <laughs> there you go. Right. That's right. A weed is something you don't want, right? Right, exactly. It's not, a, it's not a weed any longer. But getting the soil to settle, what do you think? Just watering it a lot? Yeah, not even watering a lot. You know, rain and everything else. And yeah, it'll start settling on its own. If you have a soaker hose, you know, what those things are, they kind of just drip the water out. Run the length of, you know, that whole thing and just, you know, soak it really well rather than just standing there with a, you know, more or less a hose and trying to soak it down that way. Okay. Sounds good. Is that, now, if I put the grass seed on like in September, even though it's not completely settled, um, is that a big deal? In other words, what does grass seed do in, in looser soil when it finally settles? It just becomes more grass, I guess, becomes a lawn, right? Just a... Well, hopefully, but what can happen is if it's still on a mound, you know, as it settles, it could settle below the level of, you know, what you actually want. Right. So, yeah, and then you fine. get a little trough there, and then you're not going to be able to, you're going to be back to the weed farm circumstance. Right. Sounds good. All right. Appreciate the info. Yes, All right. sir. Have a nice day. Thank so, you. Yeah, thank you. And now let's go to, oh, let's take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, to the phones we go. Are we headed to South County and to Gail's yard? Hey, Gail, how are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Go go ahead. Okay, so we have um, a garden with pepper plants and onions and stuff, and the first year ever... We've got a bunch of, like, black, we would call them possibly scales on all the leaves. And we're wondering, like, how do we control it or, you know, what's the best um, route to take? Now, they're on the onions and the peppers both? Onions, peppers, cucumbers. We've never seen anything like it. 
you know, to be honest with you, I don't know of anything that could, you know, that generally impacts all those different plants, you know, so I'm kind of clueless, to be honest. Okay, we are too. We've been searching online. Um, and, at, and at one point, so we, like that was kind of going on, and we noticed in the soil, like a lot of little, um, we almost, they were like orange-looking kind of balls, and um, they almost kind of seemed to be like crackling or popping, and so I don't know, we don't know if there was some type of egg, and so we tried to like dig all of those up, like off the surface of the soil. Right. Now, I mean, there is, you know, there is a type of fungus called shotgun. So, in other words, it can be in your soil as a result of whatever you mixed in with your soil. And then it's generally people see all of a sudden the side of their house or something because they put mulch along the side of their house. You know, sparkles of, or I shouldn't say sparkles, but sprinkles of different, you know, different, you know, usually it's black. But so that may be what you have. You may have a shotgun type fungus. So check online and see if that's what you might have. Because okay. usually uh-huh. there's nothing that's going to impact all those different kind of plants unless it's something like what you found coming out of the soil. Right. Yeah, we're, we, I, we've been looking online and everything, and I haven't come up with, you know, a clear answer for it. Right. So look at shotgun fungus. Okay. Will do. Thank you very much. Certainly. And now let's go to George in Florissant. Hi, George. Good morning, Mike. How are we doing today? Very good. I have a couple questions. Uh, number one, regarding holly, I guess holly's very uh, popular discussion this morning. Apparently, um, I have a tree that's probably about twenty-five foot tall and maybe say uh, about three foot in diameter. Looking to kind of bring it down about uh, maybe ten feet. Is that a problem as far as bringing it, you know, down that much? Well, the only problem is going to be the overall health of the plant. Because okay. there has to be this relationship between the, the amount of leaves and the root system. And so if you reduce either the root system by due to construction or something or pruning the top, once that is sort of like knocked out of balance because the uptake of the nutrients and moisture from the root system send it up to the leaves and the leaves use sunlight to make food, chlorophyll. So mm-hmm. it, once you know, there's not enough, let's say, the same amount of leaves to keep everything healthy, that's where the problem would come. So I'm not saying you don't do it, but you're taking kind of a big chance. Would it be more of a chance doing it this time of year rather than in the fall? Yeah, don't do it in the don't do it this time of year. Okay, do and not. also I have one other question. Okay, uh, squash bug. I mean, is there something that you can get rid of them or or not? Uh, basically, you can't get rid of them per se. You know, other than just like using insecticidal soap whenever you see them, spray it on them. Uh. Okay. So there's nothing like a preventative type thing. Okay. All right. Good enough. All right. I appreciate your time. Thank sure. you. Sure. Thanks, George. Haven't heard from you for a while. Let's go now to Bill in St. Charles. Hi, Bill. Hey, how are you? Good. Hey, I, one one point I did, I, uh, University of Missouri has a, uh, a satellite office. I don't know. I've never been there, but I called them once here recently. They do soil tests for right. like $25. Right. Uh, Okay, good. Um, I have a situation where I am fairly new in a subdivision. The ground did some extensive settling from the spring rains, and uh, it's pretty drastic in some areas. It could be up to a foot. And uh, in those situations, I'm looking at putting in an irrigation system later in the year. And is there a specific type of company I should approach first uh, that would be able to, if necessary, to bring in top 
soil and that leveling it all out? Or can a general, uh, like regular landscape company address those type of situations? Because it does also affect drainage on the backyard, how it goes into the back swale and all that out into the sewer system. Yeah, just so they know what they're doing as far as being able to, you know, to get the thing graded and, you know, do the amendments in the areas that are low and depressed and things like that and make it a nice homogeneous blend, not just bring in soil or topsoil or even topsoil compost mix and try to just dump it into those low spots. It's going to probably take a, I I don't want to say total renovation, but that's probably what it's going to take to get this thing to be a nice cohesive soil, you know, component. So there's not just one spot that's, let's say, all new that's, you know, it's that soil that you put in just to fill that hole. It's not necessarily going to stay there and it's not going to blend in with the existing soil that's below it in the hole. Okay. Okay. So just get a reputable landscaper and they'll be able to assess it. Because my, my thought was if I keep the irrigation system separate from the landscaper, then they can kind of both focus on their own core business. Is, is that correct to say that? or is Right. It- Generally, I would say anybody that's an you know, irrigation installation type company, they're probably not going to want to do the, you know, the whole major, let's say, improvement of the you know, leveling and contouring and everything to make sure that you've got good water movement. But definitely get okay. that done before you put the irrigation system in. Okay, great. That sounds good. Well, thanks a lot for the info, sir. Appreciate it. Certainly, yeah. And, you know, you said the soil test, like the University of Missouri Soil and Plant Testing Lab, there's one in Columbia. There's also one in Bowling Green. There's one in uh, Pottageville and then one in Golden City, where I don't know exactly where Golden City is. But, yeah, there's all kinds of – University of Missouri is still doing the soil testing. So, And now let's go to Earl, and Earl lives in Afton. Hi, Earl. How you doing, sir? Very good. Uh, I have one question for you. Uh, about three or four years ago, I planted some uh, – uh, bushes in my front, uh, in front of my house, and I got, I did it in a little bit of a hurry, and um, I forgot to put that, um, uh, I forget what, what it's called, the, uh, the black uh, uh, plastic stuff. That's oh, like, like a landscape put. fabric? Yes, sir. Uh, can I still uh, cut around the bushes, or, you know, cut, cut the thing in half, and uh, put the... Uh, Put the, some, uh, not topsoil, but the other. Uh, Mulch? Yes, sir. Can I, uh, can I still do that? Because I got a lot of weeds right there. <laughs> well, you should probably kill the weeds first. You know, even though the, the landscape fabric will kill them because it's la- going to be laying on top of the existing weeds. But just, you know, just realize that there could be, you know, the hole that you're having to cut around the plant and everything else. That could be a spot where some of the seeds of the plants that you're suffocating underneath, the weeds, you know, they could be pushing out seeds from that standpoint. And realize it will kill things that are below the landscape fabric, but there could be some other seeds that come in and land on top of it, and they could penetrate and go down through the uh, landscape fabric. So it's not going to, let's say, it's not going to eradicate your problem with weeds for long term. It's going to be a short term thing. It's going to get rid of the existing weeds that you have, but just realize, you know, the the spots that you're cutting it open around those shrubs or whatever they happen to be, small trees or anything else, that could be sort of a just watch out for the weeds germinating in those spots. Okay. Okay. Guys, break.
bring something on the weed before I do that? Or? Well, just don't, if you do, if you get, use, you know, depending upon what kind of, uh, let's say, shrubs that you have, just don't get any kind of herbicide on the shrubs that you want to have looking good. So right. if rather than spraying it, if you've got just small patches of weeds that are coming up, you know, as a result of putting the fabric down or coming up around the, just, you know, crush the leaves and just take an herbicide and paint it directly onto it. That way you avoid any kind of drift onto the existing plants that are good. Okay. All right, sir. Well, I appreciate it. Certainly. All right. You have a good day. Thank yep, you. you too. And let's go to Mark in Germantown, Illinois. Hi, Mark. Good morning, Mike. Thank you for your gardening program. Mike, I was listening when the phone call came in from Breeze. Uh, I think the fellow was Adam. Right. He just was describing a, a condition he's seen in his oak trees. Right. He didn't indicate the type of oak tree, but I've had a similar situation. And um, we live in a, a, a very, it's a rural area with a lot of agricultural uh, area. And I contacted a district forester who who seems to think the problem could be related to herbicides being applied. Oh, really? So, uh, so if he was, if he were to perhaps contact the forester and maybe get in a, get him to uh, describe it or give him to look at it, he might, uh, you know, he might find some some answers to his problem. Right, because you know the reason why I, I kept asking him questions like, are all these you know kind of grouped together, or are they sporadic throughout all the you know the area? So that's why, you know, that certainly is a possibility because you don't know what's going to happen. But, uh, you know, for it to just be random with us, you know, with a, among, let's say, a lot of trees that are not impacted that are planted along this tree line or whatever it happens to be. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good idea. Some, 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 oaks, some oak trees are more susceptible to the herbicide that, you know, present in the air or drifts in the, in the old location. Ah, well, that's interesting. So if you uh, if you were to contact the district forester, you may get some some uh, some advice. Yeah. So hopefully Adam is still listening. Okay. Thank you for your program. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, your comment and your uh, information. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we're headed to Brentwood and going into Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hi, how you doing? Thanks for being here. Sure. Uh, by the way, I think maybe you and your, your dad and I probably went to the same school together because that's kind of my opinion. As long as it's green, it looks okay to me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in regards to that... Uh, in our front yard, uh, we've got a tree. I'm not sure what kind of it is. It's, it's one that blooms. It's got really nice white flowers on it every year. Uh, but uh, underneath that one area of the tree, uh, we've got zoysia grass or kind of a zoysia-like grass all over the rest of the yard. But in that one area, it isn't. And I guess my question is, it's, uh, if I were to take maybe and plug some of that zoysia from there and put it over in that other area, that isn't zoysia, what would, would it take? It would take, but my recommendation as opposed to doing that, yes, you can do, You can certainly take plugs out of your own lawn. You may have Bermuda grass. It would still work with that as well. So consequently, you know, you could do that. But I would recommend just going to your favorite garden center and getting a tray of plugs and because these have all been rooted. They should be have an adequate root system. And get that, use that as opposed to taking plugs out of your own yard. 
Okay, well that that, that would that, that would make sense. And uh, the other thing is, is uh, I own a property over in Granite City, Illinois, where I'm at right now, and it's we've got a fence, and and it's you know it's just a constant problem all the time that uh, trying to to keep the vines from growing up on the fence. And uh, is there anything to do to completely eliminate that, or is that just a ongoing maintenance? Thing. It's probably an ongoing maintenance thing because I don't know what kind of vines you have. It might be bindweed. It might be honeysuckle. It might be all kinds of different things. But probably, you know, maybe a factor that the birds, let's say, eat a berry of something, come and sit on the fence, go to the bathroom. It could be just the way the fence is, the weed seeds, the bindweed or whatever, morning glories or anything else, whatever kind of vines it happens to be, you know, or just— uh, it's, it's honeysuckle, so that's probably related to the birds as much as anything. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. And if I go now, do I need to know whether I got zoysia or, or Bermuda grass? I mean, I, I know it's nice and thick. Okay. Right. Uh, well, the the garden centers are not going to sell Bermuda grass. Okay. So if it's not, if it isn't zoysia then you're going to have a blend of things. But you could take a plug in, let's say, dig a 6-by-6-inch square out of your existing good area lawn and take it with you so you can make sure that what you're getting can match or they're going to say, well, we, you know, this is Bermuda and there's nothing we can do with this. Right. Okay. So, all right. Well, very good. Well, thanks. I appreciate your help. Sure. Thank you. And now let's go to Trenton, Illinois, and into Pat's yard. Hi, Pat. Hi, Pat. All right. Hi, Mike. Thank you for your program. Sure. Um, we just developed, uh, like, two white mushrooms in our front yard, um, and it, and they're growing. Is there anything that you can do about that? Just go out there with a golf club and smack them. No, they're basically oh. coming off something dead. So there's either dead tree root systems underneath there. There's weight, you know, there's thatch. Something's dead below the ground, and that's what the mushrooms are growing on. Oh, okay. But there's nothing you can just put down to, let's say, eradicate the mushroom circumstance. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just uh, just get rid of them somehow. Right, exactly. So, I mean, uh, I've seen some houses where the mushroom caps were like four or five inches across. It was like, wow. But that's mm-hmm. just, you know, that variety of mushroom as opposed to a different variety of mushroom. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. So it's just... Uh, you know, mushrooms only grow on dead stuff. That's why where even the mushrooms you eat in the stores, they're growing on, let's say, dead stuff or, let's say, manure or organic products. Let's go now to Juan in North City. Hi, Juan. How are you today? Fine. Good morning, Mike. Hi. I love your show. Love your show. Uh, I used to, you know, I have a, a nice big front yard. Uh, not a backyard, but a front yard. And I would say I've got about 60 feet, 6 inches. And I want to put in some plants that are not going to quite bring a lot of bees around. Would you have any suggestions for that? Uh, you know, just having a nice frontal part of the, of the yard, which is right off the porch. Basically, anything that's, you know, that is a conifer. So, in other words, a U. A juniper, a mugle pine, uh, arborvitaes, you know, any of those are not going to have any kind of ability to attract any kind of bees if that's what your main concern is. Right, right. Well, you know, uh, you know, I mean, uh, the bees do beautiful things. So, you know, we love bees. Sure. But 
But uh, at the same time, you know, you don't want to have too many of them, especially when you have little, <laughs> little ones around, you know, kids, their grandkids coming right. over. Right. You know, and, you know, as far as flowering things go, if you got things that flower in the springtime, that's pre-bee season. So, I mean, say, right. things like forsythia, things like spirea, you know, quince, all those kind of things, they're, they're blooming and finished blooming by the time the bees are out doing all their things. Exactly. And dragonflies, too, I guess. Well, that's, that's going to be around anyway. Right. But, but uh, uh, a, a good foliage uh, plant, uh, you, know, uh, you know, like, like I don't know, like a, 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 some sort of a rose bush or something like that. Roses are going to bring in those kinds of uh, bees and so forth, you know, for collecting pollen and things like that. Yeah, they're, but uh, you're not going to be inundated with bees, to be honest with you. Yeah. I've got four knockout roses. Yeah, there's an occasionally a bee on there, but it's not like something that I'm going to have to constantly be watching because the bees are going to be coming, you know, and buzzing around my face or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, I, I enjoy your show. I, you know, I'm very informative with, you know, I happen to work uh, at a at a indus, industry. Uh, I was in radio too for a while, but uh, work in the industry where you know I had to you know put plants up and so forth. So right, it's, fasc- it's fascinating. Uh, that was none of one of my side jobs, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. But, yeah, 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 yeah. But I was in radio for quite a while. But uh, but but I also like like getting plants, you know, and putting them up. And my wife is going like, "What what is that?" You know, <laughs> and I say, "Honey, it's you know, it's, it's this is a beautiful plant, right?" And I like I like zellias too. I, you know, I really love zellias, right? You know, so, well, thanks, Juan. But, hey, thank you, Mike. I enjoy you. Great. <laughs> Let's go to Festus and into Greg's yard. Hi, Greg. Hello there, Mike. Hi. Uh, my question concerns tomatoes, the plants. All of my, not all of them, but uh, a lot of them this year that I planted, they grew up good, and they put on a lot of flowers near the bottom. Now, the flowers all turned yellow at the stems, and, that, and they fell off. Now they're putting flowers on way up at the top. What happened? Why did those flowers fall off? Probably weather. Weather? Yeah. So, in other words, with the tomatoes, they need to have consistent moisture levels. So, we had some really severely hot area, you know, hot times for several days in a row, and then consequently windy times. And then so the soil could be dehydrated just due to the wind and to the soil temperatures because sometimes the humidity wasn't high enough. So the tomatoes were just not, let's say, getting enough moisture to support the flowers that they aborted or dropped off. Well, I I watered these plants about uh, every other day. And all the flowers near the bottom, two, three feet up, they just uh, dried up, turned yellow at the stems, and fell off. Right. Well, you're doing everything right. So, you know, the wind, you know, even though you're putting water and moisture on the soil, the wind can dehydrate the stems and cause them to abort that way. Even though there may be adequate moisture, in theory, uptaken from the root system up through the stems and, uh, you know, to where the flowers were. But I've had a, several people, you know, this year talk about the tomatoes aborting flowers. I'll be darned. 
Huh. Man, that's, that's the first time that's ever happened to me. I've been playing <laughs> for over 25 years. Yeah, I mean, it goes to show you, that's kind of the fun of growing things. You never know what one year is going to bring as opposed that's to for sure. 25 years a, prior to that. Yeah, I have one other question. Okay. Could I ask you? Sure. Okay. I plant radishes. I can plant a row of white radishes. And about two feet from that row, I plant red radishes. Now, the red radishes, they do all right, but the white ones, I never get any radishes. Why is that? They probably are not good for this region. I bet you can't find anybody that can grow white radishes all that successful. Really? Yeah. For whatever reason, soil type, even though everything's perfect and everything, there's just certain plants that just don't do well here as other areas have the certain plants that don't do well there. Oh, I'll be. Yeah, I've been doing this for years. I finally give up. Right. But if you go to, like, the farmer's market where a lot of local people sell produce that they're growing, I'll bet you won't find any locally grown white radishes. Is that right? Right. I'll be. Okay. Hey, uh, I I thank you for your information, Mike. I appreciate it. Right. Well, great. Thanks, Greg. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got about uh, six minutes or so, seven minutes of the show. And then at 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Andy Smith and Bob Richards. 11 o'clock, the Helotech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show with Scott Mosby. 1 o'clock, the Business of Family Business. And then at 210, Amron Total Access pregame show with Alex Ferraro. So that's the lineup for uh, you know a couple hours from now. Let's go to South County into Lynn's yard. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good, good. Um, good. We have a row of beautiful, mature, tall arborvitaes. And even though my husband and I went out there and inspected them like around May, early June for little worms, we do have bagworms in bags now on one or two of them. And my question is, is there any spray we can use now Now that they're in their bags that will penetrate that? No. No. Okay. So Nothing. Picking them off by hand. Exactly. Okay. All right. Is there a preventive spray uh, and uh, that we could do earlier in the year, and when would that be, and what would we spray to kill whatever worms we missed basically you just you know it's going to be weather dependent but you just have to watch you know if if you get all the bags off then you won't have any right okay so because those bags are filled up with eggs now so next year you know when the weather the temperature is just right those eggs will hatch they'll come out of the bag and then they'll start building their own bag so that's kind of what you just have to kind of monitor and watch closely all right, well, well, we'll continue picking them off. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and they're really tall. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. Well, and, thanks for your And then reward yourself with a penny per bag. <laughs> now let's go to Dave and Davis in St. Charles. Hi, Dave. Hi. I'll tell you how good a gardener is. I don't even know if my front yard is a bluegrass or a something else. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a nice grass. And, uh, it, it's doing well over the years. I hardly fertilize. I know that's not good. At any rate, I, I fertilize. I, I took up all the. I, I sprayed for bugs about six, eight weeks ago because they were, you know, not not bugs, weeds. Okay. They were really taking over, and that's great. But now it hardly grows. Um, does it need fertilizer, or just too hot a time of year? 
Yeah, if it's a cool season lawn, the growth really slows down. So let's say if it's a fescue or a bluegrass, this yeah. you know this is a time of year when it's going to grow. But what you want to be more concerned with is not you know let's say blade length, it's blade color, blade health. You know, not having dead areas and those kind of things. So that's the main concern right. this time of year. Right. So this is not a good time to fertilize. Uh, not with a cool season lawn. Basically, wait right. until, let's say, mid to late August. Then you're going to start your fall feeding program, and you're going to feed monthly, either you know, early September, late August, and then each month all the way up until October. Yeah. Well, I said one time, uh, three, four, five years ago, I'm, I'm not much of a gardener. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're satisfied with it, then that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, I, maybe I'm luckier. The Lord's blessing me. I don't know what it is. So. Exactly. All right. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Dave. And where are we headed? We're going to stay in St. Charles County and go to St. Peter's. Hi, Jan. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Beautiful weather. Yes. I have a trumpet plant that has become very invasive. If I kill the mother one, will it kill all the rest of it? Now, we're talking about trumpet vine that has the orange flowers on it? Yes. Uh, well, they, you know... I mean, there could be seeds. You could have a multitude of plants. But if you think it's all just coming off one trunk, if you kill that, yes, it's going to kill all of it. Well, it's it's gone under concrete, and it's gone everywhere. So it may be the birds. <laughs> it's getting in my garden. Oh, whoa. It's, it's, very, it's very happy on this trellis that my husband right. has. Right. So, yeah. So it's okay, time. Well, yeah, maybe it's time to get rid of it. Yes, it is. But it's too pretty right now. <laughs> but it's it's everywhere. It's everywhere. So don't don't plant those. They're bad. Right. Exactly. So. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, the wisteria and the trumpet vine, plus the really scary ones like poison ivy and stuff like that, can be real problematic as they mature. And now let's go to Baldwin. And John, how are you? Hey, Mike. Good morning. How Hi. you doing? Very good. I see I'm running short on time, so I'll be brief. What about this weed spurge? I looked up uh, online and found out I'm dealing with spurge. Mm-hmm. And, well, I, I picked it a couple of years ago. I thought I dealt with it. Now it's coming back this year. Is there any uh, pre-emergence? Or I'm putting post-emergence on it. Pre- yeah. I don't like that stuff. I mean, you could put a pre-emergence down, but for the most part, it is a perennial weed. So. Okay. So consequently, it's going to you know come back on its you know its own. So it's not going to be start you know you're not going to really get rid of the problem by putting the pre-emergent down. Yeah, the spurge is really kind of a nasty weed. There's no getting around it. So. Uh, okay, and I see uh, other neighbors that uh, if they neglect it, it just takes over the whole. Wall. Yeah, I mean it's truly not a perennial weed. It's an annual you know warm season weed. So if you did want to try a pre-emergent with it. That would be when you'd put the pre-emergent down would be in the springtime when the forsythia is in flower. Right, okay. And chickweed's coming up. Same thing. All right. Good deal. Thank you. Yeah, the chickweed is a cool season. That was one's in August. That's for the pre-emergent. And, Carolyn, can you do it kind of quick? Okay. Carolyn? Yes. Go ahead. I have a question. Yes, I have a question about an enormous... Um, rhododendron, how far back can I trim it? It's about six feet tall. I would not prune it at all. You start pruning on a rhododendron, you could send it to a downward spiral. Because well, you notice with the rhododendrons, you're only going to see leaves 
you know, in the couple ends of the branches, a couple inches at the end of the branches, you cut all the leaves off, you're not going to have any rhododendron at all. Well, I've had this for 30-something years, and every year I trim it back trying to shape it. And two years ago, I, I wasn't able to. And so, I mean, I, they've gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, even though I keep trimming them every year. Well, you should be grateful because most people can't even grow them. Oh, Okay. Well, I just hope, okay, well, then you answered my question. I'll just have to, they cover up my house, and I just wanted to see out of the windows. Ah, uh, they don't cover your house. Six feet high? Come on. Honest <laughs> to God, there are two windows that they cover in front of the house, and I was hoping to get back my wind, my view from my window. Okay, well, we okay. got to go, Carolyn, so thanks a lot. Thank you. Yeah, Thank Mike you. Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law.